Hi, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Skip Miller. And I'm Thibaut Suiris. Every two weeks, we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We're on a mission to change the way people see sales. As you know, sales is a profession that is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet people are afraid to try or really extend themselves. And this isn't really good. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs and M3 Learning. If you want to attend the recording of the podcast episodes and ask your questions to the guests, you can join the Selling Advantage community. It's a $25 a month subscription where you get access to a community of B2B salespeople, exclusive events, and tactical resources to help you close bigger deals faster. Join today and get one month for free at www.sellingadvantage.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom, tools, and tactics, and enjoy the show. So hi, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Today, I'm really happy to uh, receive one of my students, uh, someone who's actually very interesting, has done like so many different things. So uh, it's Isabel Sum from uh, StackFuel. Isabel, how are you doing? Hi, Thibault. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. So welcome to the show. Actually, uh, I had the idea of, uh, of inviting you because you've been one of the most successful, uh, you know, like rep I've worked with. You have like really a crazy uh, reply rate, uh, very similar to the one I'm always claiming to offer to people. So I, was, uh, that, I thought that was amazing and I had to actually learn a bit more about that. So we're going to talk uh, about like selling to German corporates uh, in DAF. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a bit more about you and uh, what you're doing? Sure, definitely. So yeah, hi everyone. I'm Isabel and I actually work for StackFuel. So we are Thibault's customers. We are doing data and AI trainings for B2B clients. And uh, my background isn't, let's say traditionally in sales. So my, uh, my educational background is international management for business and IT. So the topic is close to what I'm doing now, but I've always been on the more kind of like entrepreneurial side. I've lived in China for three years, founded a specialty coffee roastery there. If anyone needs coffee tips, they can also approach me. And uh, yeah, came back and uh, joined StackFuel a little bit over a year ago now. And um, I'm doing the account executive uh, thing now here and have amazing clients and I'm happy to be in the growing and exciting market. Okay. Can you, let, let's pause a bit on, on your experience selling coffee in China. So I've been in China when I was 17 years old. You know, I learned Chinese, I actually don't remember a word. Uh, but can you tell us a bit more about, about that? It's actually very, I've never heard of anyone doing that. So tell us more about the coffee experience in China. Sure. Yeah, the coffee market in China is an incredible, incredible market. It's been growing double digits for the past 12 years or so. Really uh, super interesting. Um, the problem is that it's a super untouched area. So the, the, let's say, sales approach has to be very consultative because no one understands anything uh, because it's not a traditional thing they had there. So 
Um, when we, as a roastery, it's even harder because we are not selling to end customers. Um, We're selling to uh, clients in between like offices, restaurants or hotels. And uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the market is growing and the quality aspect is there, but it's a little bit hard to explain exactly what a good product versus a bad product is. Okay, and so how did you get the idea to, to start this uh, this business when you was there when you were there? Um, it was actually a kind of a coincidence that all happened to be falling together. Um, me and my partner at the time wanted to do a business abroad, and um, there was a kind of let's say political uh, project uh, where they had they actually built. You know, the typical Chinese stuff where they, where everyone uh, makes kind of jokes about it, where they really copied like one German city. and yeah. uh, But they didn't copy the whole city. They just copied a street and made it look very traditionally German. They even imported the stones and the materials. And it was quite nice. So the, And then, of course, the people and the investors wanted to have a very authentic type of uh, German lifestyle there. So mm -hmm. that's how we got into the, into the project. Okay, the German lifestyle. Very interesting. Why didn't they choose the French one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good question. But French stuff and uh, French food and everything, culture is, is more popular in Shanghai, I would say. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Okay, in which area was it in China? Um, the roastery, it was in the middle of China. So it's called Changde, a tiny city. Oh, and yeah. then the outlets were, we had a few customers in Shanghai as well, um, but mostly in Shenzhen, which is mm. like the tech, okay. tech center. Yeah, I've been to Chengde. Yeah, I remember. It was pretty nice. Took a night train there for 12 hours. It was a very uh, crazy experience when I was 17 years old. Oh, But, my God. That's also yeah. an interesting story. You have to tell yeah. us about that. I mean, in another podcast, maybe, because my experience <laughs> in China was uh, was very nice. It, it was it was really cool. But anyway, um, so now you're, you're back in Germany and uh, you're selling uh, for Stack Fuel. Can you tell us a bit more about your typical customers? Uh, the type of companies you're working with and the type of people you're talking to. Yes, definitely. So our uh, clients are usually uh, bigger corporations. So I would say um, on average, maybe 10,000 people upwards. And um, right now they're usually based. So the headquarter is usually based in Germany. So they will be kind of like a German company that is obviously active uh, and working globally. And I think the most important part is that they are type of learning companies. So they have a learning and development team or a personnel um, corporate development team where um, this is an, a department that exists. Okay. Okay. I see. So they're like kind of these big German companies that are trying to kind of like, uh, you know, they invest heavily in learning and development because they have some skill gaps to, to fill. And I think, uh, from what I understand, from remember from the training we did together, you're selling data literacy. Can you tell us a bit more about what it is? Definitely. Maybe just a quick uh, explanation of the use cases that mm -hmm. we cater to. So I would say there are three types of use cases that we encounter. The one you just mentioned is the data literacy aspect, where we want to increase this level of competencies and skills, uh, working with data and AI and understanding how it can be used in an organization on a broader scale. So mm -hmm. let's say really roll it out um, and have a couple hundreds of uh, employees join this data literacy trainings. 
And uh, the other use case on the other spectrum would be um, that specialists are educated. So for example, I have a business analyst or a controller or even anyone in a, another unit. It could be a marketing, could be any research and development, anyone who works with a lot of data. Um, and they are developed into data analysts or data scientists. So that is the other case. Mm -hmm. And the third case would be kind of in the middle because a lot of companies see that they need uh, analytics translators or data translators to facilitate actually the work between the business units and the data experts or center of excellences. And these analytics translator roles have specific requirements um, where they need to have domain knowledge, but also mm -hmm. high level statistics and uh, programming knowledge. And that's kind of like the case in between, I would say. So that's, these are the three use cases. Okay. Okay. I see. And so, so um, what's, what's the specificity of, of actually selling to a German customer or German prospect? Yeah, good question. So I would say typically German customers are kind of more cautious and a little bit more um, a little bit more skeptical of anything that is new. <laughs> this sounds really negative, but I, I don't mean it in that way. It just um, it's just that the market is usually very um, mature and saturated in a lot of ways. So um, German customers are not easily convinced, let's say mm -hmm. usually. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been living in Germany for six years, never really sold in German as such, but I think um, culturally it's something that you, you see very often uh, in Germany, at least in Berlin, that's what I've experienced, but is that, um, you know, Germany is, is, is kind of like this, uh, they, they made like a really nice marketing trick to make them, you know, look like the, the country of technology, but you live in Germany, you know, it's not really the case as, as much like that. And people are actually, as you said, a bit more slow to make decisions. And it's harder, I found, to build relationships than other cultures, for example. One thing I found is that the language is a, is a big barrier. But once you have the language, the culture is another big barrier, I found, also. Because the, the, you can speak very good German, but selling in German is very cultural. Meaning, like, there are some specific aspects uh, you know, of life, of German culture that are important, that if you don't live here, you won't actually get them. And one thing I found also is that, um, yeah, it, it, it's really specific to, to Germany compared to France or other, other places in Europe. You have this very specific thing. Is it an experience you have too? Is it something that, that, that you've encountered too? Yes, definitely. Even though I am born and raised in Germany, um, for for the listeners, maybe um, if they if they don't see me, I'm actually half Chinese. So I'm I'm born and raised in Germany. Um, but uh, I, I absolutely agree. German people culturally are not the easiest to approach. Um, they are just generally, and I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. They're not really easygoing. And uh, the technology aspect that you just mentioned is just also so funny. When I lived in China, we had a lot of like small coffee shops or any type of shop that yeah. always had these huge signs like no cash because everyone would use mobile payments and just pay with their Alipay or whatever. And in Germany, you have the exact opposite. Like um, you have like these signs like only cash <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, you can buy anything in cash here. So it is just kind of like a symbol for me for the um, technology aspect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, the, the culture is really hard to um, connect. There's still a lot of hierarchy as well. And you have to really um, be careful what um, type of approach you, you use. It, mm -hmm. it is not really easy to 
directly connect with people. Like sometimes when I speak to foreigners or Canadians or, or people from the US, it, it's way easier. I feel like we have an immediate connection and in mm -hmm. Germany it's like slower. Yeah. And one thing is crazy in Germany is the attachment to the uh, doctor, for example. So you can be a doctor in anything. And uh, whenever you are addressing people formally, you have to use that. Otherwise, they can get offended. So it's a, it's a very specific thing where, for me, I always found crazy that German founded or invented psychology as we know it, but it's so hard to understand their own psychology, I found. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy dilemma. You have people like Freud or Jung or these kind of people who kind of got everything. And then, you know, we're still not able to, as I like to say, to communicate with Germans. But it's, I think we, we also, you know, it's kind of a, a cliche in there. So what are the the things also that 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 you're that are common to let's say german people and, and people from other cultures um yeah what you what you just mentioned with the titles is a very important thing um for example i can also see it in our company from our experience when people normal people without a, a PhD or doctor say something in a meeting, it is definitely uh, less listened to than mm -hmm. if, if exactly the same thing was said by someone who has this PhD title, which a lot of our data scientists obviously um, do. Um, so that is a big, big thing that Germans really like hierarchy in a way mm -hmm. and is um, it's sometimes hard to overcome this. So I think a good strategy, or at least what has worked for us, is um, to find people in Germany, working German companies who are usually a little bit younger, I would say. So maybe mm -hmm. in their, like, in German terms, younger, like <laughs> um, 40s. Um, <laughs> So yeah, and uh, and find them, and, uh, and and you can immediately find out whether they also feel like this type of hierarchical work uh, work style is kind of holding progress back. Mm -hmm. And if you can sense that they have the same attitude, they are good good prospects because okay. then you can talk to them and communicate with them, find a plan on how they can overcome this in their mm -hmm. own organization. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. The thing is also like, I think it's very, you see that a lot in France, for example, or in Spain, where uh, there's a generation of decision makers that is, you know, like slowly retiring, being replaced by people our age. And then they, they have totally different values and totally different ways of, of negotiating or making business. Um, you talked about prospects. So what about your prospecting approach? You've been very successful in there working, for example, on LinkedIn, uh, which is not a given in Germany. Can you tell us a bit more about how you structure your day and how you prospect? Mm -hmm, definitely. So um, I always block my time for a pipeline generation. I think that's super important. I need a little bit of time to get into the flow, I would say. And um, I, I think one really important learning if you're using LinkedIn in Germany is to really find people who are active there. If they have never posted or never even interacted with anything on, on this network, then you're very likely to never get a response or yeah feedback on your connection request. And um, yeah, I try to find people who are uh, showing exactly that interest in digitalization, as well as new um, concepts of technology. For example, if we're talking about the learning uh, field, there's traditional learning where you really have workshops and classes on site with kind of like a classroom situation. Mm -hmm. And then people will usually indicate in their profile that they focus or specialize on e-learning, for example. 
Okay. Okay. I see. And so, so what are the, so you talked about LinkedIn, do you use other channels to find prospects and get in touch with them or just LinkedIn? Um, mainly LinkedIn, I would say, but because it's very connected to the topic because data and AI, if the company is willing to invest in training in that regard, they must be kind of like, uh, progressive in a certain type of way so mm -hmm. usually the people who push that in the companies are also active on linkedin and, and trying to do that but i think other channels that we also use is um, definitely just or, or like other sources for prospects are um, press mm -hmm. um, events um, or panels um, where experts talk about their fields so it could be data ai or learning Mm -hmm. And um, Xing actually in Germany is also used. It depends on the industry, I would say, but actually more Germans are on Xing than on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, but yeah, of course, for um, for the company, it depends on the product that you have. I think if, if, if you're targeting more um, small and medium businesses or like hidden champions in Germany, mm -hmm. then they will be on Xing more. That's for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Xing is this... Uh crazy like i don't know why it exists i hate it because uh, if it wasn't there everyone would be on linkedin in germany by the way did you know uh, the slowest and uh, market for linkedin in europe is germany it's slowly picking up but it's like uh, all the other countries are have more adoption than linkedin so um, it's it's really interesting i think this uh, we have this thing in germany where privacy is a big thing and the fact of giving your data to a, a kind of like Uh, offshore American database, people hate that. So uh, I think that's why, you know, they stay on Xing because it's kind of like the German alternative. I've got many customers who are successful because they are German and they have this German alternative to, so basically they have a, a product that is like 200 times, like not as good as the, not the other competition in the, in the US, but they get the market because they're, they are German. And, you know, it's this kind of like very, uh, I don't know how to say, like very localized a thing. And so that's why they, they kind of choose that. Have you experienced these kind of things where, you know, like the fact that Statfield was German was great compared to competitors typically? So many times, so many times. This is super important what you just mentioned, like even that our servers and our data is located on a German server, everything is GDPR conform. And um, yeah, of course, also the language is a huge um, yeah, tipping point for mm -hmm. for uh, prospects or customers, potential customers. Um, they the adaption also of the English language I feel like is not really high, or the uh, motivation also isn't really high to mm -hmm. establish English as a working language. Um, of course, in Berlin, like there's so many startups, so many digital companies, they all adapt that and use it. But most of the traditional German companies, I think, really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I think the funny thing is Xing was even around before LinkedIn. So they, yeah. they really had a head start and they could have just, you know, crushed it. But now, yeah, they they really look if you, I mean, if you're not on Xing, if you log in, you feel like you were sent back to the 90s. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think because they invested in uh, before it was kind of the social network, they were head to like face to face against uh, LinkedIn, and then they really quickly realized it wouldn't work. They kind of pivoted the model, and uh, it, yeah, it's it's very interesting. But I, I have a fun anecdotes actually. Like when I arrived in Germany six years ago, I learned two things. Like the first thing is that you cannot download, uh, you know, like uh, how you call that ripped movies. You know, like this uh, on this peer to peer network. Otherwise, you're gonna receive a letter from. Uh, 
a lawyer who will actually threaten you to, and, and basically what they want is to threaten you to court, you pay money so they settle, settle that. So I learned how to actually not do that. And the second thing is if, when you have a business, if you don't put an imprint in your emails and your, your website, some lawyers will try, go and try to actually uh, ask for money. So it's one thing that's crazy is like, there's this, uh, this kind of legal framework that is helping people make business. So like really cheap lawyers make some business. And so that's uh, one particularity of Germany. So data and all this kind of legal stuff are really important over there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's one thing also, you've been very successful uh, talking about sales and prospecting. It's video prospecting. So uh, out of all the students I had, you're one of the most uh, successful with like video. Can you tell me a bit more about your approach and how you structure them? Yes, sure. So one thing I really took away from your training, which helped me a lot and was great, was the sequencing. So I, I built a really nice sequence. I also A-B tested them. And my sequence, I, I mean, I can maybe share it now, is first I start when I with a soft connection request, of course. And then if they accept, I immediately send the voice message mm -hmm. and uh, then some text then the video and then some text again. So, um, and I think that worked really well um, because first things, uh, first what we just said, Germany is not really um, modern in many ways. And I get so many messages from people I contact this way saying that, wow, this is the first voice message I ever got on LinkedIn or like, this is the first um, customized video I got. Thank you so much for, you know, taking the time and they are really, like either they hate it and they, you never get a reply mm -hmm. or they really, really like it. And then you make an amazing first impression. And I think that's kind of like, of course, the challenge in the market, but also the opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it is definitely not as saturated as the US or any other market in that term. So and the video, yeah, um, I think that is uh, really depending also on the, uh, let's say, uh, level of um contacts you you'd approach if it's like a higher or c level something like that um of course maybe you you need a more even more customized even more detailed on point video but still i i got really good feedback i think it works a lot mm -hmm. yeah can, can you tell me again the the sequence how you like what touch point and how you structure them so you say connection request then what mm -hmm. do you do Immediately voice message. Okay, when they accept. Because then yeah. it is usually always the first one they get and they really listen to it. Yeah, okay. Voice note, then text, then video, then text again, right? Yeah, right. Okay, okay, great. I really like what, what you said. And I know you also ask for the meeting, which is something I don't always recommend, but it's working really great for you. I think there there's like some, some things to actually think about is, uh, as you said, once people accept, they receive that, they see this blue bar with the play button and like, what is that? And so uh, I, I love to remind people that uh, Germans are still human beings. So they are curious and everything, even though it kind of, I mean, Berliners, I don't know if they're human beings, but yeah, uh, it sounds like they are not, but they, they are curious too. So when they see a small like play button, they want to play on it, you know, click on it. So they hear that. And as you said, if you do the right kind of message in there, they will love it. And then you have the text and the video, another pattern interrupt. So as you said, it's like people either hate it or love it, but very often it's the first encounter they have with this. And as you said, it's a great way to, to do that. So um, I think that's that's brilliant. And, and one thing you also mentioned, which is very important, is that you have a sequence. It's not like you are 
sending a message and then forgetting and just trying and reinventing the wheel. You have your set routine, you do your follow-ups, you add people to sequences and you get great results. Can you tell us a bit more about the typical results you get, like the reply rate, booking rate, and the kind of meetings you book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I want to share like the the best, uh, the highest uh, results I had so far, which was actually in the context of, of your training, obviously. So uh, when we tried out everything you taught us, uh, we had over 36% uh, answer rate and almost 11% um, meeting booking rate. So that was uh, really amazing. And um, I think, I mean, now... You know, in the beginning, when you start something, of course, you always try to do it 100%. And right now, I, I, I've been kind of like falling back a little bit into follow-ups and other projects, you know, whatever mm -hmm. comes around. So I, I'm not there right now. But I think if I would focus on that for, you know, another, like, let's say, four to six weeks, I could definitely get there again. And um, yeah, I think those are amazing results. I can't really tell you the exact um, change or rise because I didn't measure it in mm -hmm. that way before, but it was definitely lower. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. I mean, I had like a dinner with Jinesh last week and he was really tired. He looked really, really tired. And he told me, man, I'm in meetings all the time with, uh, with Isabel. She's booking so many meetings. It's just really, so yeah, he was a uh, poor Jinesh. <laughs> Yeah, I feel sorry for him. I try it's okay. To... <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's fine. Can you now tell me a bit more about your sales process? Once you landed the meeting, what are you doing from first call to closing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, with us, the sales um, cycle is, I would say, um, medium length. Um, so it definitely depends because it's kind of still a very complex product to sell mm -hmm. because it depends on one of the three business cases that I mentioned earlier, what the customer wants. Sometimes it's also even a connection of all of them. So mm -hmm. they need like data literacy in, in all of their departments, but then again, they also need specialists. Um, so usually I think the first meeting is just really trying to understand the situation of the customer and why, of course, they were interested to take the meeting. So what was mm -hmm. their motivation to talk to us? Um, what do they think that we can do for them and what are the problems that they're struggling with. And usually in our sales cycle, we connect a lot of decision makers. So we talk to L&D, uh, learning and development, that's for sure. Then we um, usually talk also to the data teams. So head of data, head of data science or head of analytics, for example, um, because they can evaluate the content wise and also they give the technological direction. Some companies, I mean, this is very technical, but some companies work with rather Python or rather R or any other type mm -hmm. of language. So they will check that. And then the third part uh, is usually the business units who need the trainings mm -hmm. um, in the end. And they are usually the ones that provide the budget for the okay. trainings. So that is kind of like our sales triangle that we walk in. Okay. So you talk to a lot of different kinds of people in the organization. And uh, do you have an idea of your sales cycle length, how much it takes us from time to actually getting the first meeting to closing the, the business? It really depends on the maturity of uh, what the customer has already kind of uh, worked on before. Mm -hmm. So some of the companies that we talk to, they have already formalized an initiative. They know who they want to put in the training, what the learning goals are, and they just need us to fill 
the content and and, and do it uh, mm -hmm. operatively um, through the trainings. If that's the case, it it doesn't really take long. It could be anything between two to three months um, mm -hmm. to to start with the training. Um, but then for the big ideas that has more strategic, um, let's say, um, angle to it, we really it can be up to a year. Okay. 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 I see. So some very interesting variations there. It's yeah, obviously it's very complicated topics. As you said, there's a lot of companies and parties involved. So making sure the machine is well oiled and moves together is, is pretty challenging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So while have you, have you here, I have you here, I'd love to actually ask you just what's your, what's your experience? So we've worked together, um, you know, on the T-shaped sales development program, which, you know, we've been working for the Stacksfield team. Can you just give me a bit of a, of a, you know, just a small hint on, on how was the experience doing this? And uh, yeah, would love to, to hear that. Yeah, definitely. So um, I can wholeheartedly say that the experience was really great. I think everyone in our team really profited from it and they really enjoyed it. Um, of course, on a professional level, it really helped us out a lot. Uh, we could really get some um, yeah frameworks that we can always use on and on and on. So it, it wasn't just a impulse or anything like that. It's mm -hmm. really some very solid um, methodology that we can use now. So that was really great. And uh, so how we worked with you is we had the program and then also um, workshops with you um, mm -hmm. through Zoom. And I think that also really um, helped uh, to, yeah, dive a little bit deeper into also our case um, because it is quite um, difficult. So talking about the above the line, below the line buyer and the ICP again uh, really also helped uh, in improving those parts. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, that was, that was a great time. I think we had like some good sessions and uh, it was really nice to see how you and the team took, took over the concepts and, and used them. So Isabel, uh, before we wrap this up, is there any last word, anything you want to talk about? Now is your, the time for you to actually say anything you want. The stage is yours. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Thank you so much. So I, I would say just a shameless plug. If there's any sales talents out there who want to join StackFuel, um, we're a great team. We're always looking for amazing, motivated and uh, smart people. So yeah, join us. Okay. That was a, it's totally decent plug. Uh, I'll actually <laughs> put the uh, career page in the show notes so people can go and sign up. Um, and you know, if, if you go and work with StackFuel, you're going to be working with Isabel, with Jinesh. I can also vouch for, for, for you as a team. I think you are a great team, great uh, mood also. What I found is that it seems like there's a really nice uh, connection between all of you. So it's a pretty cool company. Yes, so, and, and if you want to do the T-shaped uh, sales program, it's also a good choice because we use that, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's win-win for everyone. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yes. Perfect. So Isabel, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience. It was really nice. And um, yeah, thanks again and have a great day. Thanks so much for having me. Bye, Thibault. Thanks for listening to that episode. If you like what you hear and you want to explore more, I invite you to join the Selling Advantage community. It's a paid community we're running with Skip Miller, where you're going to get access to a content library with training, checklist, and exclusive resources. You'll also get access to our experimentation swipe file and a Discord group with 150 Texas people. We also have online events where we invite special guests, a regular Ask Us Anything, and our content is focused on sales for North America and EMEA. If you want to check it out, go to sellingadvantage.io or click on the link in the show notes and you'll be able to sign up. 